You are listening to the 12 Stone Podcast. For more information on our eight locations or service times, please visit 12stone.com. Now enjoy Pastor Kevin Myers as he delivers the third message in the series, Growing Up Faith. When I was a kid, I would ask my dad kind of kid questions. I grew up in India, devout Hindu family, and I remember going to temple and we would do all these uh, religious ceremonies. I went to Christian college so I could meet a Christian girl and raise a Christian family. As I got older, questions naturally get more complex. I wanted to know more about heaven and I wanted to know more about hell because I needed to know about my, my brother's eternity. In my early 20s, I became close friends with a guy who was an atheist. And he had questions that I couldn't answer. And I wondered what made Christianity different. I had so many questions. I've got questions. I mean, how do I know that what I believe is even real? I'm at the point in my life where questions just aren't enough. I need answers. So welcome to Grown Up Faith. We all have questions, and we've been asking them. Questions like, uh, am I an accident or am I here on purpose? Why do bad things happen to good people? And while we've been asking those questions, uh, I've been pretty honest about our own family in this season, uh, having some questions, our own nuclear family, and uh, you've been uh, alongside us. Uh, two weeks ago, uh, my grandson, Braden was born, and I shared that story with you. He was quickly uh, taken into NICU, uh, that uh, unique uh, place and unit for uh, infants going through some, quite chal- uh, some real challenges. And um, man, that was a, a tough time for us. Uh, questions about some brain damage uh, with, with loss of oxygen and the birthing process and uh, this uh, cool therapy. And he's uh, been in there for the last couple of weeks. And thousands of you have joined us in prayer on his behalf. I want to give you the next layer of information. Yesterday, our family joined together in a celebration. Braden came home. Here's Papa holding him at the family's house. Very excited. Very grateful. Adorable. Just adorable little boy. And I will catch you up on what we know. Uh, So far, God has been more than gracious. Uh, The MRIs and a couple of those have been done, and they found no uh, blood on the brain. Uh, One of the things they checked for is seizures, and so they've done the EEG, and he has had no seizures since birth over this process uh, in that unit, and that's a really big deal. Uh, The last thing he had to clear was, uh, can he eat, and will his digestive system work? And those are usually complex things. Uh, He did this with flying colors, so they released him early, so he's home now. We don't know what all that means yet, honestly. We know so far God's been gracious. Yay, God. You know, we don't know what that looks like in three years or five years. Uh, He might be completely healed by God's grace, and that would be like God. But nonetheless, we trust him fully, and he has been gracious, and we're grateful. So thank you, church, for your support, your encouragement, your prayers, and uh, it means a lot to us. So with this, uh, we're all asking questions, and God is growing us up by uh, training our minds and engaging our hearts And really aligning our will with his so that we can experience, understand his big picture and get the bigger life. And so I have a question for you today to just kind of get us into the teaching. Um, How were your grades in high school or college? (laughs) Yeah, let's go there. Some of you are like, I left that behind for a reason. (laughs) 
You know, like, what was your GPA? How did you measure up? Good news for my kids is I married their mom. And that's a good thing for them. Uh, because it appears that all four of our kids got their mom's mind. And uh, so our kids are, have all proven to be quite excellent students. And yay, good for them. Uh, like my uh, third son, Jake, who literally from uh, kindergarten through high school never got less than an A. He never got a B. He doesn't know what they look like. He was A's all the way through life. Yay. Okay, so you got mama. Good for you. And, and, and when he applied to college, he didn't just apply to college. He applied to the um, more academically elite college within the college called Honors College. And, of course, he got accepted. He got what? Accepted, and, which is fantastic. And he, he did well. And when he graduated, he graduated with a 4.0 and was a valedictorian. So good for you, Jake. That's awesome. Happy for him. I, on the other hand, would never have been accepted into Honors College. Let's just own that right now. Okay, I would not have been, in fact, when Marsha and I were dating, she was getting all A's and I was getting annoyed. <laughs> and I said, I could do that. So my competitive spirit rose and I decided to do that for one semester. I said, I'm going to prove it. And I pushed myself and I worked. That's a lot of work. I got all A's, but I was exhausted. I'm like, see that? That'll never happen again. Good. Fantastic. Hey, yeah, that's great. That's great. In fact, this literally happened at my graduation, just to give you context. In the graduation, they got this long line of graduates, and as we're, you know, waiting in line, they finally call your name on this long stage when you finally get up there, and, and along the side were the professors, and so you're staying in line, and you're passing all these professors before you, you go get your graduation certificate, and so I'm in my graduation count, and I pass one professor here, and he looks at me with a surprised look, <laughs> because he doesn't see honors cords on my gown. He's like, Kevin, you're not graduating with honors? I said, no, no, prof. Nope. Now, he was my theology professor, and I got all A's in his class, which might make some of you relax a little bit. You're like, does he know what he's talking about? I did really good in my field of study. And then I'm walking along and waiting for my name, and about three or four professors down the line, this guy looks at me, and he sees me in the graduation gown, and with a surprised voice, he said, Kevin, you're graduating? <laughs> and he meant it. Like, that, I don't even have to make that up. He was the history professor. This was like American history. What? Details. I mean, that exam, are you kidding me? What, who could ace, who would want to, was really what I was thinking. So, you know, fortunately, my kids, you know, got a, a, a lot of mom. And, it, and it, it bears out the question, if I had applied to Honors College, I would not have been what? Accepted. Why? Because I didn't measure up. I didn't make the grade. Now listen, this culture is asking the question, why doesn't God just accept me as I am? I mean, if he's a loving God, shouldn't he accept us all as we are? Isn't that our culture's new definition of love? Love is however you are, real love would accept you just as you are. 
And if God really loved, he would, and we would all go to heaven. Fair question. I know why we're asking it. So let's get into it. By the way, before we get into it, let me just pause and talk to students. I was not just giving permission to not study, nor was your pastor modeling after talking about this once already. <laughs> but I was like a 3.9 in my field of study and less than that overall. <laughs> and we're handing the world to you. You're gonna take over for the love of God, please study. Okay, okay, I've said that. Now let's get to God's big picture, shall we? We've been on this. The Bible is one story. The Bible is what? One story in two halves, right? The Old Testament and the New Testament. Now there are five major events in the Old Testament, five major events in the New Testament, and they produce a mirror image. A what, church? A mere image, one of the other. When you know the five events in the Old Testament, you understand what's going on in the New Testament, and they all point to the person of who? Jesus Christ. Old Testament points to him, New Testament builds from him. And once you know the five major events in the Old Testament, you understand the New Testament. So here are the five major events in the Old Testament. We've been walking through that in this grown-up series. The first event is God and righteous people in paradise. The next event is Satan and sin enter. The next event is the world is judged and destroyed, this time by flood. Then, the one world government. And then, Genesis chapter 12 has this major turn to the life of Abraham. It's called the Old Covenant because God established a covenant with Abraham. We picked that up last weekend. And through Abraham, he made three promises. I'm going to make you a great nation. Through you, I'll give you a great land. And, and through your nation will come a great Messiah. Now, we need to talk about that because I want to catch everybody up, make sure we're all on the same page. So here's what it looks like. Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and, and God created us in the Garden of Eden, and God gave us life. So God poured life into us. We'll let this pure water represent life and God pouring into us. And for all practical purposes, for the sake of the conversation, life was not only good, but God is holy and God made us holy in his image. We got Adam and Eve. It's all good. And then, then Satan and sin enter. And this is rat poisoning. And that just got put in our soul. The moment we chose to sin, we contaminated ourselves. And not only that, but we clouded our judgment. And this is what we look like before a holy God, and that's a bit of a problem. So we cost ourselves paradise. We got placed outside. Now Satan and sin has entered. We lost the Garden of Eden. In fact, God put a cherubim angels with flaming swords. So I'll just light this because we need some kind of a visual awareness of what was going on. And so now we have the cherubim with the flaming sword and we who are now unholy cannot get back to holy. We can't get through to get to holy. In fact, this is who we've become. When the world was judged and destroyed and the whole one world government, all this preceding we're, we're in this position where, where we have contaminated our soul with sin. And the consequences of sin is death. The consequences of sin is what, church? Death. death. That's what we brought upon ourselves. This is now in us. This has now become our nature. In fact, when we make little ones, it's a little more complicated than that. But go with me. When we make our little ones, 
our nature transfers. Which means this, not only does our physical DNA transfer into the next generation, but our spiritual DNA. So now they are in sin. And then, of course, we continue to sin, so we keep adding this rat poisoning to our lives, and then they join in, and they sin. And you know what we say to ourselves? We say, oh, but you know what? I do good stuff. Okay, just for a moment, just to entertain it. So you mean all I got to do is take a little bit of pure water and pour it in, and now you're ready to drink this? Anyone who would like to just chug it? No, because you and I both know that once it's contaminated, adding a little bit of good doesn't change. It's contaminated, cloudy condition. And so how does unholy get back to holy? Because God is holy and he's a consuming fire. And there's really no way for us to get back. So if we tried to get back, this is what would happen to us. Now you're sitting there thinking, what did he just do? Was that... <laughs> Was that flash paper? Yes, it was. Because I've always wanted to play with it, and I've never had an excuse. And I thought, how can I come up with an excuse to play with, with flash paper? I'm a bit of a pyro. I think it's pretty cool. And, and I'm like, I got a dumb idea, kind of hokey. In fact, I brought two with me, and I'd do it again if you really wanted it. I can't tell if you would really want it. Just a minute. We got campuses all over. We got people sitting online. Y'all are sitting over there at, at, at Sugarloaf or at Buford. You're up there at Flowery Branch. You're over at, at Brazelton and, and Hamilton Mill and Bethlehem and Snellville. And if I don't hear from everybody, including this room, I'm just going to lay it down, and I'm not going to play with it one more time, although I want to, and I know you do. So do you want me to do this one more time? Even if you'd said no, I'd do it just because I think it's really cool. But the serious part is this. We would be consumed by the holiness of God because the consequences of sin is what? Death. And that's the price that has to be paid for us to move from unholy to holy. God doesn't just wave his hand and we're forgiven. The righteousness of God is such that we would have to be transformed into holy because if he brought us back, we would contaminate all that is good. Listen, when everybody says, isn't everybody going to heaven seriously? Because heaven would be nothing more than what we already have. How do we get from unholy to holy? And I'm going to blow this out because I'm afraid I see all the smoke going up. And then the fire alarm's going to go and the smoke alarm. You see, there is a standard. There's a what? Standard. standard. This is in your notes. And the standard is, be holy as I am holy. See, Moses, when he was in the desert and when God called him to lead the nation of Israel out of Egypt, he met him with the burning bush that was not consumed by fire, but there was the fire reflecting the holiness of God. And he said, Moses, take your sandals off because the place you are standing is holy ground. What kind of ground, church? Holy ground. The holiness of God is serious business. 
When God brought him out of Egypt and took him to the, to the base of Mount Sinai before he gave him the Ten Commandments, and we talked about this last weekend, the commandments are cash, not trash. This is the thing you would chase. You long to know the holy principles that give you life. You want to know what this is all about. This is the life you long for. This is what we're stuck with. And when he brought him to the base of the mountain, he says, don't touch the mountain because God descended. And there's lightning and thunder and there's something of this consuming fire of the living God and he's too holy. You can't walk and touch the edge of the mountain or you'll die. Why? Because the impure touched the pure and the pure is so holy it will consume you. Holiness is serious business. In fact, in Leviticus chapter 11, look at this. I'll put it on the screen for you. It tells us, verse 44, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy. Say it with me, church. And be what? Holy because I am what? Holy. God said, look, I am holy. Watch, watch. I am holy for you to be with me. You're going to have to become holy. How do you move from rat-poisoned souls that are clouded in their judgment to become holy? Because holy is the standard, but we have a problem. We have a what? Problem. Sure we do. Put it in your notes. We don't measure up. Just jot it down. We don't measure up. See, I wouldn't get into the honors college because I don't measure up. I don't make the grade. Look, we understand that everywhere in life. Why is that not obvious when it comes to the holiness of God? We don't measure up. In fact, watch this. You know what we say? Well, I'm just being myself. This is my nature. We have a whole culture that says, I'm just being me. This is, I'm being nothing more than my nature. Why wouldn't everybody accept me for being me? Hang on. That is absolutely true. It is your nature, your fallen nature, your depraved nature, our sinful nature. We are exactly right when we said, I'm just living out who I am. Yes, we are. And that fallen nature is what makes us unholy. We start comparing ourselves to each other. and We're like, hey, I don't look too bad. Well, yeah, you're over here. Standards over here. Why doesn't God just accept me? Because this fallen nature needs to be covered, cleansed, forgiven, cleaned, and made holy and pure again. It is, it is, no, it is no freedom to say, I'm just being my nature. Agreed. And that's what has to be Forgiven, cleansed, and covered. And somebody is going to have to die. And if you die for your own sin, you will have paid just penalty and never be in the presence of God. How on earth does this get solved? And there's two solutions, a temporary and a permanent. The temporary is the tabernacle. Write it down. The temporary is the what? Tabernacle. Watch this. The tabernacle 
shows us how God makes it possible for us to move from unholy to holy. And right here, there's going to be a sacrifice to pay the death penalty of our sin. You can't move from unholy and be holy without being cleansed and the penalty for sin, which is death, being paid. Hence, there's going to be a sacrifice, a death. Blood will be shed to cover our death penalty debt. So, in Exodus chapter 25, turn your Bibles over to Exodus chapter 25. We're on page 80. If you have a worship center Bible here anywhere uh, at the campuses, you grab the Bible on the way in, or there's one underneath your chair, just reach down, pull out the Bible, turn over to page 80 of the Old Testament. We're in Exodus chapter 25. If you're uh, online, you got your own Bible, you got a mobile device, it's Exodus chapter 25, starting with verse 8, listening in any other format, another church, uh, turn over there to Exodus chapter 25. Five, looking at verse 8. Then, now God's speaking to Moses, for, to the nation of Israel through Moses, talking to Moses, he says, then have them make a sanctuary for me. So God now wants them to build a sanctuary, a place for God to be among them, because it says, and I will dwell, I will what, church? I will dwell among them. Listen, it was the heart of God to dwell with us back in the Old Testament. It's the heart of God to be with us in the New Testament. When Jesus comes and God sends him, his name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. God has always desired to be with us. He's trying to make it possible for us to move from unholy back to holy so we can be with him, restoring relationship. Look at verse 9. Make this tabernacle, there it is, the sanctuary is going to be a tabernacle, and all of its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. There is something important about this that has to be exactly as God describes. So from chapter 25 to 40 in the book of Exodus, they describe all the furnishings, the layout of the tabernacle, and them building it. This is hugely important because the tabernacle is the path from unholy to holy. It is the forerunner to the coming of Jesus. It is what makes sense in great part of Jesus coming as the Messiah. In fact, when you take the book, Grown Up Faith, you'll notice that as you read along, you get to the question, why can't God just accept me as I am? And why are we talking about that as a big question? Because there are 10 big questions and, and one of the big questions is, why can't God just accept me as I am? And I lay out the tabernacle. In fact, of the questions that we have, I call that the fifth one. In fact, guys, let's put the 10 questions on the screen because what I want you to see is we have 10,000 questions in life, but they all come down to 10. How many? 10 big questions. So let's go to the, the five of the 10 questions we've been talking about. Is life an accident or am I here on purpose? Why do bad things happen to good people? Can I really trust God? Why can't I make my own rules? And finally today, why can't God just accept me as I am? Listen, that's the fifth of 10 big questions. And that question, like all 10, are the foundation of your life. How you answer the 10 big questions answers the 10,000 questions you have in life. And that question, why can't God just accept me the way that I am, is huge in our culture from non-Christians to Christians, and most people have never understood the answer. In fact, a whole bunch of people who are even in the church or walk with Christ have never put this together because they don't understand what's going on in the tabernacle. 
The tabernacle, when we look at the mirror image, the tabernacle is here on the Old Testament side. There's the New Testament. Right here is the old covenant that God makes with the nation of Israel. It is a mirror image to the new covenant. The old covenant points to Jesus. Now watch this. The old covenant is based on this tabernacle I'm about to explain to you. Because it is a movement from unholy to becoming holy. And the tabernacle lays out the path or process, which is a sacrificial system because the penalty of sin must be paid. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. The whole Old Testament lays this out because it is a forerunner to the coming of Jesus. And Jesus literally walks the entire path of the tabernacle or what becomes known equally as the temple and therefore writes a new covenant with us and his new covenant is based entirely on the pattern of the tabernacle. The reason you need to know the tabernacle is because it frames up the old covenant, explains why Jesus came and what he did for us, and now why in the church we have a new covenant and how we've been made holy. That's what a big deal this really is. Most people have never understood the tabernacle. And while I have it laid out in the book, I'll give you the same drawing. If you want to do this in your notes, you can. So what we have is we have the outer fence, which was 150 feet by 75 feet. This was like a fencing. It's about the quarter the size of a football field. And this fencing had an entrance on the east side. This was the gate. This is the only place you could enter. There was only one way in. When you come in, it is the path from unholy, remember I said from unholy to holy. So what happens? You would come here to the gate, you would bring a lamb, and when you walk in, there would be a slaughtering table. This would be your sacrifice that would be placed on the bronze altar. I'm going fast, but stay with me. I will come back. Then there is a laver where priests would wash their hands, and then they would walk into the tabernacle. This tabernacle was like 45 feet by, by 15 feet. And the first two-thirds was the holy place. And the back of it was the holy of holies. This right here is where the Ark of the Covenant was placed. By the way, I don't know if you've heard this. I know you've heard about the Ark of the Covenant. Did you know they found it? Did you know they found the Ark of the Covenant? It was somewhere in like the, the 1930s. A history buff found it. To no surprise. Maybe you've, maybe you've heard about it. The documentary. Here's a picture of the documentary. Harrison Ford has a nose for this stuff. I'm not great in history, so I'm sure it's accurate. All right, that's just Hollywood. It wasn't found. Some of you are like, take notes. You must have been in my same grade. So the Holy of Holies back here is where the presence of God resides. And that 
presence of God is behind the holy place, which is behind the laver, which is behind the burnt offering, which is behind the slaughtering table, which is behind the gate. And you can't get access to God. God's been made holy. And the only way to get to God is to walk the path from unholy to holy, which means right here, a penalty has to be paid, meaning our sin debt has to be covered. And the consequences of sin is what? Death. So without the shedding of blood, there'd be no forgiveness of sin to cleanse us and bring us all the way into the holy presence of God. We thought this was so significant that I got to do more than write it on a piece of paper. So we asked our creative arts team to literally build a nearly to scale model of the tabernacle and its furnishings so I could explain it to you. And they did. First of all, let's say, yay, team, way to go. That's very cool. So now what we're going to do is let you walk through the tabernacle. Check it out. Welcome to the tabernacle, where God desires to dwell with his people. But how can a holy God dwell with unholy people? After all, we've all sinned, and sin separates us from God. Sin makes us unholy. Sin leads to death. So how can a holy God dwell with unholy people. And yet God desires to be restored to us. That's, that's his heart, his nature. No doubt all of us know what it means to try and restore a broken relationship. Maybe you've had to walk through that in a marriage or family or friendship. For me, it was with my father. My parents divorced when I was in my uh, early middle school years, and then uh, through the teen years, things didn't go well. It was pretty much over by the end of high school. So I knew I was on my own. And, uh, you know, we've had a, an estranged relationship for like 40 years. No meaningful conversation during that time. Uh, he doesn't know my kids. And so it was no, no small thing that in the last 60 days, you know, we've had our first sit down face-to-face, and uh, ended the estrangement, restored the relationship, and working on the future. That's the heart of God, our Father, to restore, and he is the master of restoration. And so he wants to move us from unholy to holy, and that really is the, the path of the tabernacle. And it would begin with me, if I were an Israelite, as head of household, I would bring a lamb to the front gate. It would be a, a lamb that would have to be spotless, without blemish, which would be symbolic of, of being holy. The priest would meet me here at the front gate, and the priest would inspect the lamb to be sure that it qualifies as a sacrifice. And as long as it did, uh, we would enter into the gate. And when he opened the gate, uh, there is no doubt I would be in awe. There before me would be the bronze altar, the slaughtering table to the right, but what would catch my attention would be the tabernacle, the presence of the living God. You know, the front portion would be the holy place, but in the back is the holy of holies. And I would be very aware that I, I have no access uh, to God because he is holy and I'm unholy. And that makes uh, this moment at the slaughtering table all the more significant. This is the uh, temporary, substitutionary 
atoning sacrifice. Those are four really big words to understand. Temporary. It means that I have sinned and this lamb is going to cover my sin debt, but I'm going to sin again. And so I'm going to have to repeat this sacrifice again and again and again. And this is substitutionary. That means by the grace of God, he's allowing me to place my hands on this lamb. And as I do, I'm going to confess my sin and the sin of my family, and it's going to transfer to the lamb. And so that lamb becomes my guilt, atoning. Ah, see, the, the payment for sin is death, and now that's going to have to be paid, the price of death. And without the shedding of blood, uh, there is no forgiveness of sin. And I'm aware of that because across all the sand, it is blood stain, sacrifice after sacrifice to cover the sin of myself and my family and the other families for us to move from unholy to holy. And so the atoning sacrifice, the blood would be spilled as I would carve the lamb from ear to ear and the blood would pour out and the priest would catch the blood and he would take it to the bronze altar and he would he would sprinkle it on the horns of the four corners of this altar. He would carve out the lamb and he would place it on the altar according to the regulations and that lamb would be consumed by the fire. And sacrifice uh, would have been made for me and my family. And I would not be able to escape how the weight of what sin cost and the sacrifice on our behalf. And that would be all I can do in this movement toward holy. The priests, and then only certain priests at certain times uh, would go serve in the tabernacle. Now, this tabernacle would remind me that God is here with me in this portable, temporary place of worship, sanctuary. And at the very front, two-thirds of it would be the holy place. It would be about 15 feet wide and 30 feet deep. And then another 15 feet wide and 15 feet deep would be the holy of holies, where God dwells. But before I can get there as a priest, I would have to wash my hands in this bronze laver and wash my feet because now that there's been forgiveness, there needs to be a cleansing, a sanctifying, if you will. And as a priest who had cleansed my hands and washed my feet, I now have the privilege of walking into the literal tabernacle, the holy place. So here in the holy place, the priests would serve the Lord through the three primary elements in here. One is the table of showbread, which was made of acacia wood and then covered in gold. It would have 12 loaves representing the, the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. And in a sense, it, it's reminding them that, that they have a provider, they have a king, they have a God. They're not here on their own and they're, they're not alone. And some believe that this is really the forerunner to the Lord's Supper, the communion that we celebrate through Christ since the New Testament, the New Covenant. A second element is the golden lampstand. 
Now, the golden lampstand was the only light in the holy place. It was lit at all times, and it helped represent by that light, at least some would say, that God's word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Others would recognize the symbolism of the oil to the Holy Spirit who was to come. The other element would be the altar of incense. Now, the altar of incense would have fire that came from the bronze altar. That was a holy fire. No other fire. And here, this unique blend to provide for the incense as a holy offering to God, but really representing prayers being lifted up to God. Now, behind this was the Holy of Holies. Right here at the veil between the holy place and the Holy of Holies was as far as any priest could go, except the high priest. Only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies and then only once a year. So the high priest would walk through the sacrificial process from unholy to holy and bring the lamb's blood this far. We're told that he would have bells on the bottom of his garment and, and at the hem when he walked into the Holy of Holies, you would hear him. You would know that he's ministering there. But then tradition suggests that he would have a rope tied to his ankle. Thereby, if he hadn't walked through the process of being made holy appropriately, if he'd misstepped, well, when he walks into the Holy of Holies, he's in the presence of a holy living God, the holiness would consume him. He, he would die, and nobody could go past the veil and bring him out. Hence the rope. They would have to pull him out. See, that's an awesome God. Serious business to step into the presence of a holy God. So the high priest once a year on the Day of Atonement would step in. And when the priest, high priest steps in, he would move into the Holy of Holies and he would just be in awe of God and the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant. There in the Ark, the contents would be a jar of manna, the, the staff of Aaron, the Ten Commandments, this covenant we have with God. But more than that, it would be the, the angels over the top representing the mercy seat, that God has great mercy on us and that justice has been met by the sacrifice. So they would, they would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat and they would know all at the same time that this is sobering and celebration, sobering because well, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin, and that would have been atoned for. And celebration, because we can be restored to our relationship with God. This is about redemption, an unholy people being with their holy God, our Father in heaven. See, this, this portable tabernacle, which moved with them throughout the desert, was their place of worship from the time of Moses through the life of David. And then David's son Solomon built a permanent tabernacle called the temple out of the same pattern and the same pattern of worship all the way to the coming of Jesus. Jesus would have worshiped in the temple. And this is all a part of God's big picture whereby Jesus walked the path of the tabernacle, the temple to restore us to God.
This is his purpose, to give us a bigger life. Wow. And you just, you just have to, you just have to sit back and absorb the power of that. Holiness is serious. You have to ask yourself, are you being casual with holy? This business that happened back in the Garden of Eden is still our issue. The standard is holy. The problem is sin. How do we get back? And it takes a, a sacrifice, a death to cover our sin debt. And the tabernacle was temporary. The coming of Jesus next week when we talk about it is permanent. Many people say, well, how can Jesus be the only way to God? And if he is, isn't that kind of narrow? Oh, men and women, you know so many people who wonder, why did Jesus have to die? And that Christianity thing makes no sense. Aren't there 10 different ways to God? We'll pick that up next week. Because it is a movement from unholy to holy. The tabernacle foreshadowed, the temple foreshadowed the coming of Jesus. And some think, well, isn't this just Old Testament? Ah, look at 1 Peter chapter 1. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires. The what? Evil desires. That's our, that's our now fallen nature that you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who has called you is holy, so be what? Holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. See, that holiness thing is still serious business, and maybe God has you in today's conversation because you've become casual with holy. Maybe there's unholy things going on in your mind or in your habits, in your marriage, in your finances. And so as I turn the service over to the campus pastors, maybe that's part of the point of this prayer, for us to wake up to the holiness of God. You know, we often sing about the promises of God, but we need to know also that it's our faith in God that unlocks the promises of God. So I call us to worship with bold faith, knowing that God is gonna do just what he said he would. So let's sing together, come on.
Time.